Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video episode number 52. Uh, or if you're listening on one of the podcast streaming services, season three, episode two of Music is Not a Genre. Each week I take a release from my collection, I discuss it, I give you my take on it, throw in some other interesting things, and I connect it to my music, other music, and other things in the world. Uh, as always, please don't forget to subscribe and uh, ding the bell and l- l- click and share and pay your dues and give the blood that you give and all of the wonderful things that all of you do to support. Uh, If you have not yet checked out my Patreon page, please do. There is exclusive content on there, including um, my upcoming interview series with some awesome other people in music. Uh, So this would be a good time to get in on the Patreon. And as always, I really appreciate that as well. Uh, This week is kind of a special week. If you've been following last week, I kind of kicked off the new era by transitioning and talking about all the various formats that music uh, comes in. And that is because I am starting, as of right now, uh, uh, diving into my CD collection. Um, It's... I have no idea, honestly, if this is the last collection I will ever dive into, I have there's all the streaming stuff that I have that my I don't even know how to sort through that. Um, but if I go for my original CD collection, including the things that I gave away recently, uh, which I still have a list of, we could be talking about another several hundred episodes here. So you know, get used to my face or my voice if that's all you're getting. Uh, and if it is all you're getting and you want to see the video there on the podcast streaming, uh, there are links where you can click straight to my YouTube page or my Patreon page and check out uh, the video of what's happening right here. So uh, I basically what I did was I took one of my CD um, towers, well, uh, shelves, and started to stare at it and figured the first thing that jumped out at me that seemed like the right way to go would be the one to start with. I wasn't sure that that would happen. I thought I might have to sort through many, many, many of them. Well, it turns out this one right here kind of stared me in the face. And that's why this week the episode is titled Everything Old is Sold Again, Reissues Save the Music Industry. Because as we talked about, and, and this uh, the title of this is uh, Various Artists, Compact Jazz, The Sampler, released in 1987. Um, as we talked about last week, music and audio in general has come in uh, over 50 formats in history, uh, with you know five to ten being the prominent ones that we have all uh, shared and bought and all of that. And 
you know, new formats will continue to replace old formats until formats are no longer a thing and they just pipe it straight into our brain. And uh, I guess that's a format too. But what doesn't change is the music itself. Uh, the music that has been put onto all these formats, it doesn't go away. So if you had, let's say, this massive, awesome vinyl and cassette collection, um, which the way I did it, well, I wouldn't say massive, pretty, pretty sizable, and all of a sudden you start to get into CDs, uh, whenever that might have happened for you, it might have happened in the... Uh, mid 80s when a lot of people you know could afford CD players and things were doing it um, for me it happened more in the 90s when CD players were cheaper and you know there there were the the portable ones could be played both you know if you're you know running or walking or attached to a car via this handy little uh, wire that would attach to this fake cassette and you'd put the cassette into the car stereo where the cassettes are played so that you could play from your little CD disc man and it would, you know, end up broadcasting out of the car stereo. So that was kind of the transitional phase before cars had just CD players built in. That's when I started to really do my collection. And I realized at the time that uh, there were things I wanted on C CD that I used to have on vinyl or cassette, partly because uh, that's what I was listening to. Now I wanted to be able to put it into my, you know, five disc CD changer and, and, you know, uh, randomize that and create, you know, an impromptu playlist or take it with me, as I mentioned with the portable thing, but, you know, also partly because I knew that the audio quality of CDs, uh, was immediately going to far surpass cassettes and, and vinyl in, in terms of the, the purity of the, you know, what your, you know, the source material, um, and so I, you know, begrudgingly realized that it was going to be a necessity to upgrade the things that m mattered the most to me, which of course doesn't even count that there's always new music coming out and you're going to want to get that too. So as you can imagine, I had a CD budget basically for the year, which was hundreds and hundreds of dollars, if not more, depending on the year. And um, before I really, you know, I, I really, like I said, got into that in, in the 90s when I started to not just upgrade individual CDs, but entire catalogs of, of my favorite bands. Um, and, and, and it was fun. And I'll get into, you know, some of the pros and cons of that in a second. But I will say that the reason I jumped into the uh, discussion of this with this particular CD, not just because it's a great transition from the last couple of episodes, but also because this was the first CD I ever, the first CD upgrade that I ever bought. The first CD I ever bought, I believe, was a George Michael's Faith. So we may be getting to that next week. I don't know. But um, the first upgrade I ever bought was this one here. And, uh, you know, we'll get a little more into that later, too. But so let's go over some of the pros and cons of, of all of this, right? So, you know, on one level... It sucks. Because no matter what the upgrade is, whether it's from vinyl cassettes to cassettes to CDs, CDs to MP3s or streaming, uh, it costs money. You know, and in the case of the physical formats, it costs space too. You're going to have to put the CD somewhere, which means you then have to buy shelves. So overall, it's an investment. It costs money. It costs time, right? But on another level, and the more important level, it's awesome. Because... 
you are you that gives you a chance to rediscover music that you already loved and secondly to be able to share it more easily with the people around you in this new format so that's kind of that's the my favorite thing about it it's, it's why re in recent years i've really beefed up my um playlists online and particularly spotify because if i'm having a party or just some friends over a family and i want to play something I'm not going to, you know, dust off an old player or, you know, fire up the computer or whatever it is that I need to play an old format. I'm just going to want to, you know, Bluetooth to some speaker and play it immediately. And so, you know, it, it, there is that wonderful aspect of wanting to share it again and just to hear it yourself. But the the main point I'm making this week about this based on the title is this is the third level, which is that reissues are the thing that has saved the music industry over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, every time a new format comes out, uh, you know, it's exciting in, in one sense for the industry because of this very reason. People, they realize that people are going to want their old music in the new formats. Again, not to mention all the new music that will come out. But it's a hard sell to convince people that this new format is going to wipe out the format they've been used to for, you know, years or, or decades or, or however long. And so the great way to get people to buy in is to say, well, yeah, we're reissuing all of such and such's catalog on this new format and now you can hear it in, you know, this full, wonderful, enhanced quality and all of that. Get it now. And that's an immediate cash cow for the industry. In recent years, it's why I say it saved it is because physical sales in general have declined year after year in one way or another. They may spike here and there for, for some reason, you know, like... Vinyl has gone up one one year because people were getting more into vintage stuff, etc. But overall, physic any kind of physical sales of music have just been on a steady decline. So one of the things that keeps the music industry afloat is people wanting to rediscover and reacquire, in a sense, that music on uh, for at first MP3s and then uh, you know like downloads and then streaming services, and that's what's been happening. There are other tactics that the music industry have used uh, has used to uh, keep you know its business afloat, but reissues is still a huge part. In fact, um, many of the best-selling albums in any given year are reissues. You know, like let's say the Eagles' greatest hits or something from Elvis or the Beatles or, or what have you. Those like back catalog things often sell more than the new stuff. Sometimes by far. So you can see why this is so important, right? And this is the, you know, this is sort of akin in a way, and I'm saying this because it's kind of a fun story, uh, to what happens with, uh, in, in, with video formats. And it, yes, reissues have, have you know, helped beef up video formats in a lot of ways, in many, many ways. Again, that's a big part of it. But there's always a reason why uh, a, tech, a new technology takes hold. And it's always, it's been interesting to me, and this is documented, and you can look it up, that the one thing that has gotten generations to buy into each new video format from as far back as 1830s stroboscopic animation, all the way up to every, you know, advancement in video has been pornography. 
it's 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 just a fact. So you know when people weren't sure if let's say the new you know silent film industry was going to kick off, stuff like that started to get produced, and they realized that there was a market for it, and 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 the business there helped to often keep afloat other things that were happening in the industry. And I just, I don't know, it's just a fun aside that I wanted to share, you know, keep things spicy. Um, and like I said, with, mu- with music, it's, I think reissues are the biggest thing, right? Um, I've done this a ton, as I mentioned. I, I, you know, I've, I mean, I stopped buying CDs a few years ago, but when, you know, up until then, yeah, I would either get, uh, again, single albums, whole catalogs, or compilations or greatest hits collections and even though in some cases they were new compilations new you know uh new issues but they were new issues of old material and that is what this is this isn't strictly a reissue of something that existed before the reason why this is called compact jazz is because it's one of the first jazz compilations on a compact disc a cd um and for what it is, it's actually pretty amazing. I mean, it has this incredibly, you know, eclectic set of uh, how many? 16 tracks of jazz of all kinds from your kind of, you know, old school jazz, vocal jazz. It's got some, it's got some bebop and things like that. It's got, uh, you know, uh, all the offshoots of all, you know, but all jazz uh, Errol Garner and Ella Fitzgerald and Count Basie, Oscar Peterson, Jerry Mulligan, Chuck Manjone, Chick Corea, Bill Evans, got Fusion, uh, you know, Sarah Vaughn, you know, Jimmy Smith, uh, was a, was a secret favorite of mine, Dinah Washington, I've always loved Sarah Vaughn, I think is a little bit above her for me. Um, but just, just to be able to have that mix of stuff in one collection on a, on a format you were just dying to get into was a pretty awesome thing. And, you know, I often recommend or I used to recommend tracks on the things that I talk about. In this case, I recommend just looking this up wherever it exists now and listening to every single track. Because if you know jazz, you'll appreciate all of it. If you know a little bit of jazz, you'll appreciate some of it and get into the rest of it because it's association. If you don't know jazz, what a great introduction to it. Because it doesn't just stick again to one kind of jazz, and that's what to, that to me is what's kind of cool. Um, and so, yes, and I played this over and over for that reason, and partly because I was still living at home at the time, and my parents had a CD player, which is something I couldn't afford. But since they did, like, hey, you know, I'm gonna buy, start to buy a few CDs. And again, this was one of the first ones. It might have been the second one behind George Michael. I don't know. Um, and that's, yeah, so I'd like to know kind of your take on this. Uh, you know, have are you aware of the fact that reissues are such a big thing in really any industry that has to do with media, you know, uh, and things like that? But, you know, we'll get to the questions later. My own personal transition as an artist to CD came just a few years after I transitioned to uh, CDs, you know, as, as a, a fan. And what, and what I mean by that is there was a point at which I was buying both cassettes and CDs. And again, when I could afford uh, my own CD player, which they were pretty expensive up until a certain point, then I never bought another cassette unless it was some local band that I was into and they only issued their stuff on cassette. And that leads to this, which is the fact that 
in order to make your own CDs way back when, it was super freaking expensive. So as an artist, you know, your option was to either stick with the cassette, uh, you know, duplicating format, which was pretty cheap, you know, a couple hundred bucks for, you know, a couple hundred CD, uh, a couple hundred cassettes, or you could only get a minimum, at first I think it was a minimum of a thousand or something, and then five, went to 500, then finally down to 100 CDs, and there's a difference between duplication and the replication process, and one is more expensive than the other by far. Eventually the industry, you know, that part of the industry caught up to the point where it became affordable for independent artists to manufacture their own CDs in you know, smaller quantities but still for a pretty cheap price. And that happened for me, uh, like I said, a few years after I started collecting CDs, which was really in kind of early, mid-90s. In 98, I released a, an album called uh, Listen You People. Stay right there because I'm going to walk off camera and back on camera. And here it is right next to I should have just put this here in the beginning. Um, because, like I said at the time, finally, that became affordable for independent artists. And this was, you know, this uh, followed, geez, I think four or five releases that I had put out on cassette. And because it was a CD and because I had investors and et cetera, et cetera, it was also actually the first full-length album that I ever did. So this was kind of a big step for me way back when. And uh, like I said, it's called Listen You People, and there's a, a link for pretty much anyone who's listening to this. The links are below, and the link is to the uh, YouTube playlist for this album. And I recommend checking, checking it out just, you know, because why not? And particularly because we're talking about jazz this week, check out tracks eight and nine because they're both very heavily jazz influenced. And it's, and it's not a, it's kind of a rare thing for me in, in, uh, in terms of my recorded material. I have subtle elements of jazz, but more overt elements like tracks eight and nine, I don't do very often. So it kind of works out that these, these two are connected. Um, and as always, I appreciate you listening to my music and uh, it's one of the reasons why I do this. But and again, so what's your experience with this? Have you had to spend a whole lot of money uh, upgrading at any point? Do you get slightly annoyed when the format finally changes to the point where you really can't go back or can't listen to the things you did before? Or it becomes in too inconvenient and you finally have to take that step to do the upgrade? Or are you just kind of resigned to it and you're excited, you're excited about it and you love it because, again, you're like, oh my God, I get to reacquire and rediscover and re-listen to all this music that I loved before and share it in another way? Um, or have you never done this? Or do you not listen to music? And if that's the case, why are you watching me? Hello. It's good to see you, but I don't understand why you're here. Uh, so are you into this compact jazz? Are you into any of the artists that I mentioned on here? Take a screenshot if you're watching on video. And if, if you're not, the link there is below to um, the you know this album. You can see who's on there, other people I didn't mention. Uh, have you listened to my album, Listen to You People? Here's another screenshot. Boom. And double boom. Oh, geez. What a handsome fellow. Um, and let me know what you think of that. Head on to YouTube and check it out. And some of the tracks, some of the select tracks are actually streaming everywhere, too. Talk about change in format. Uh, but, you know, I want to know these answers to all these questions because, as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for watching, for listening, for subscribing, for paying me money and being my patron, and for 
clicking and for sharing, checking everything out. I appreciate all of it, and I will see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.